Hi guys, and welcome to another edition of the Fights Out Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash, and um, I got one very wrong this week, and we're going to be talking about one thing, and that's uh, Dimitri Bivol's incredibly unexpected to me win over Leno Alvarez. You know, talk about what Bivol did, um, how he did that, how he did it, what Canelo maybe could have done differently. We can talk about that later. We can talk about you know all the context in the fight, um, why I think Canelo came out the way he did. How come Bivol was so much better than uh, than I expected? Um, and yeah, that's really there's really only one subject for this week. There wasn't going to be much else, so so let's get on with it. So why did Dimitri Bivol win? What did he do? Well, I mean, the one thing I want to get out of the way is that um, yes, Dimitri Bivol is a light heavyweight, and this was fought at light heavyweight, um, which is sort of the upper limit of where I'd expect Canelo to. You know, to really hit, uh, you know, he was talking about cruiserweight um, before. I think that's firmly off the table now. But, um, yeah, the point being is there's some school of thought that uh, the main factor in this happening was uh, Canelo sort of being beyond the reach of his natural weight and before it was just too big for him, too big and strong and powerful. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that was true. Um, I mean, for starters, Canelo has fought bigger guys than... Dimitri Bivois, you know, Callum Smith is a lot bigger. I think Guillaume Callum Plant is bigger. Um, and he pushed them, both those guys about. And it is true that Bivol took those punches. You know, Bivol wasn't really faced by his power at all. But Bivol just take, he was just taking the punches well. He had a, a module defense like Golovkin wasn't faced by Canelo's power. And, uh, he's not a big guy. So I don't think, I think it was Bivol's skill and just general you know, even insofar as he was taking punches, a lot of that was his skin at doing so. And but most of the reason was not none of that. It was a, it was a skill, an incredibly skillful, disciplined performance. And uh, importantly, very, I think the key thing that hasn't really, I don't think it's really happened to Canelo. I mean, since the first Mayweather fight. Um, since the first Mayweather fight, since the Mayweather fight, even the even the first Golovkin fight, or even the Golovkin fights, really at all, um, that Bivol's first priority was not falling into Canelo's traps, into Canelo's games, into doing what Canelo wanted him to. And that manifested in a lot of ways, um, but you know the main aim of the game here is that Canelo. This is something Bivol talked about after the fight. So this isn't a you know, scintillating insight that you won't get anywhere else. But um, Canelo is a counterpuncher by nature. Like that's what he wants to do. He uh, he can lead, but um, but he wants to force his opponent into taking, making the first move, so so that he can counter it. Um, first move doesn't have to be a punch. Like um, it's one of the uh, sometimes misconceptions about counterpunching that there has to be a punch thrown before you can counter it. And so that's not you know that's the Standard. That's ultimately you. You do want your opponent to throw some punches, but um, you know, beating your opponent to the punch is a thing, and sometimes that is, you know, bait a move out of them that isn't a punch, so you can open to defer hold in defence. And he was doing that very well here. He was countering, you know, true countering, Canelo's punches too. But ultimately, the point is, he um, his game plan was about baiting Canelo into the lead, and then, and then um. Pun, you know, pun, not falling for anything that Canelo did to try to get the initiative back. Um, uh, how did he do that? A number of ways. 
first thing I mean it was such an ninja perfect performance it's hard to pick one out thing pick out one thing that uh, that was the best thing that he did but um have to start somewhere so I'll talk about his footwork because that was the that was the thing where he both did you know you saw the things that I expected from him but at the same time he did them better and more varied and uh, with less mistakes than I'd been expecting from people to the point and I'll talk about this uh, properly you know in the second part when I'm talking about Canelo but um, you know I suspect that Canelo based some of his plans some of his prep for this fight on things that he saw before mistakes he saw before making that he just didn't make at all in this fight and didn't even you know he didn't even come close to making you know um, there's a a school of thought I had a conversations in you know in our chats with um, my fellow fight fighters with hacks in particular about uh, about why we didn't see these things and um, you know whether it was just pure whether it was laziness or sloppiness or whether it was Hax's theory being that um, some of the time it may be easier just not to do them when you don't need them um, my theory is always you should do them if you can if you you know these kind of little reflexive things um, you should do all the time if you can if you've got them in your head because it just breeds bad habits not to but evidently in this case whatever the reason was whether he was you know there's a, there's a theory to be had that he was deliberately sandbagging which is mostly based on the conversation he had with Eddie Hearn um, before the final press conference but on mic um, where he didn't say he was sandbagging but he was like I wouldn't have got those fights if not for my last two performances which weren't particularly impressive um, yeah anyway the point being um, in his previous performances he'd made little little errors of um his movement in and out was kind of straight lined. He'd um, he'd do little bounce back. You know, he'd come in a straight line and then bounce back one and then turn off, which is a error. I get, you know, my thought was that he always uh, he only ever moved after throwing his left hand. So when he threw his left hand, he'd be being uh, when he threw the right hand, he'd be being countered by Canelo. And none of it, just none of that came to came to fruition. You know, every every every. Um, Every step he took was basically perfect. Yeah, I'm gonna say there were mistakes. Um, you would be able to watch the hour, the hour-long fight, and find things that people, you know, made slight missteps. But basically, the whole thing, you know, he wasn't making any regular mistakes. He, you know, he wasn't, he didn't fold under any pressure. Um, when he did sort of uh, make little hitches in stride and uh, seem that he was uh, moving back in a straight line too much, and you know, any of that kind of mistake. Like almost every time that happened, it turned out to be bait for Canelo. Um, you know, this was from the very first round, like very early on, you saw him. And this is why it's difficult to talk about because it's almost impossible to se- you can't separate the footwork from the jab in this performance because he was basing everything off his jab and everything off his footwork. Um, so right from the very first round, he came out with a very busy jab, and this was the thing I knew he had a really good jab. Um, but uh, Canelo's normal thing of uh, working off an opponent's jab, it just didn't apply here. He couldn't get anything going off before his jab because the man, that timing of distance, he'd throw the, you know, he'd throw double, triple, quadruple jab and then just be fading back a little bit and Canelo would fall short. And um, when he did seem to bounce back in a straight line, Canelo would lunge at him. Um, like I say, this happened in the very first round, this was from the off. Um, Canelo would lunge at him, try to close the space on him, and um, then he'd sort of pivot out and, and fade and vanish and uh, you know, punish Canelo for his uh, 
for his little almost ball rushes, which is, you know, surprising. And there is going to be space, and people are going to talk about it, and they are already, um, about how whether Canelo could have was sloppy in preparation. I've got some theories of this, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the performance was so complete with the footwork. You know, he'd, he'd be, he was on the back foot. He started off doing more or less what you'd expect people to do, like a bit more polished, but jab, 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 move away, jab, jab, move away. And, you know, I said from before the fight that this wasn't going to be enough, and Canelo was eventually going to work this out. And, uh, you know, if that's what he'd stuck to doing, that's probably what would have happened. But, uh, but he just kept changing up just little, you know, I mean, he kept changing up in big ways, but it was, you know, he wasn't doing anything complicated. When he came forward, it was, uh, again, behind the jab and then, you know, simple combinations, really good high guard, which is another thing that he vastly improved from his more recent fights because it was really active, really adjusting his guard to catch all of Canelo's shots. And, uh, yeah, and he'd push forward, he'd push Canelo back to the ropes, which hasn't happened for a while. It hasn't happened since the first Golovkin fight, really, that anyone's pushed him back. I don't think anyone's really, really tried, but um, but when they have, they've met, you know, this counterpunching resistance. And Bivol's timing was such that, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd catch Canelo sort of on the bounce. He'd, he'd bait Canelo into coming at him, then he'd turn him, and... This was a slow process, like he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't throw everything at Canelo straight away, which is an important thing against, you know, fighters with this level. You don't use all your tricks in one go necessarily. So in the first round, it really is just Bivol on the back foot. In the second round, he starts, he doesn't fully start pressing then yet, but you can see him, he's turning Canelo a bit. And he's as he's turning, he's throwing punches. And again, I didn't expect this from Bivol at all, because my observation before had been that Bivol circles, pretty well at distance, but it's really just jab, circle, jab, circle. And when he's attacking, he's kind of straight in the straight line. And in this, he was strafing Canelo. He was turning Canelo as he was throwing punches um, from the second round. And that's, that was a problem for Canelo. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a Lomachenko shit here, but it was just real nice, simple lateral movement combined with punches, which meant Canelo couldn't rest couldn't constant you know he couldn't focus just on the movement he had to focus on his head movement as well um and that just makes it harder for for a guy especially for a guy like canelo who as we'll talk to later was late to the footwork game and uh yeah and then as you know he added up he added up he kept he kept up the, the, the footwork the movement um and then eventually he got to the point where you know he'd he'd bait canelo into rushing at him and then he'd just sort of spin him and go, no, we're going the other way now. And he'd start pushing Canelo to the ropes. And Canelo started reverting back to old habits. Um, I think it's, it's something I'll talk about again later on. I don't want to, you know, I want to focus on Bivol first. But um, but Bivol was digging habits out of Canelo that he could work on. So, um, so yes, Canelo, until the first Golovkin fight, well, until in that fight, he, had, he did have, always has had a tendency to fade to the ropes in order to bait counters. And then he stopped doing that because he didn't like where that put him against Golovkin, I think, and he became this aggressive fighter, one of these pressure fighters, uh, one of the best pressure fighters in the sport. And in this fight, I think we start, saw him start going back to old habits. Um, and before just really, you know, he used the shit out of that. And uh, Canelo just ran, you know, we haven't seen him run out of ideas 
since Mayweather. Like, even against Golovkin, even if we think he lost against Golovkin, which I do both times, um, he always had an idea of what he was trying to get Golovkin to do, how he thought he was going to do it, and he always was having, you know, he was always in that fight. And, he, you know, he was never out of this fight, but he, he clearly ran out of ideas, honestly, quite early on, um, about what he was going to do. Like, I, I think he, he just didn't seem like he was expecting... Bivol's, um, I don't think he was expecting Bivol's game plan. He wasn't expecting Bivol to not bite on anything he did, like, at all. Um, like, if, if, if there's a kid, okay, I'm rambling, I'm gonna focus in on one thing. Um, if there's one kid in the fight, um, it is, I think, Bivol's coolness. Um, he just didn't falter for one second. He did everything he needed to do at the right moment. Um, he didn't bite on anything Canelo wanted him to do. It was on a really obvious moment in sort of the middle later rounds, so. Um, can't remember exactly when but where Canelo did the thing where he fades onto the ropes and lay on the ropes and was almost well, he, almost he was literally beckoning Bivol in and Bivol was just like no no I'm not coming in at you I'm, not, I'm only coming in at you when you don't want me to um, and that was the key you know he did exactly what Canelo didn't want him to be doing and that that level of reading by an opponent against someone as good as Canelo that was the key to the fight, not the size. You know, the size helps, obviously, it helps being bigger than your opponent, but it was the fact that Canelo just couldn't get into his head, and he clearly was, he clearly understood what Canelo was trying to do at every moment of the fight, and uh, Canelo and Renoso couldn't adjust. Um, so you had the, you know, you had this, um, I was going to say pattern, but that was the point, it's a complete lack of pattern. Um, you know, I think it fooled me, and I think it fooled Canelo, because, you know, this fighter that, uh, clearly a lot of us, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be trying to absolve myself too much, but clearly a lot of us saw a guy who was too settled into his patterns, and what we got was the absolute opposite of a guy who just didn't give his opponent any pattern at all to work from. Um, I'm aiming and coming a lot on this one. Um, <laughs> bloody hell. Uh, the point being, uh, yeah, the over the whole fight, it was kind of like, you know, there wasn't any wild fluctuations. It was a fight that kind of through the whole fight, Canelo was never really able to throw Bivol out of his plan. But the reason he couldn't do that was because he couldn't get Bivol into a rhythm. And, you know, that starts, that starts from the footwork, it starts from the jab, you know, um... Like I said, Bivol had a has a really good jab. Canelo isn't usually bothered by a really good jab um, because he can work off an opponent's jab, which he just couldn't. Uh, he got nothing going off Bivol's jab here really at all. And I think that might be... I don't know if that, this was something decided on the night or whether he decided in the camp um, because I always do think that Canelo prepares... You know, his game plans come from preparation, not so much on the night. Um, but clearly he can adapt a bit. Um... But yeah, I think he thought that the jab was going to be something he could work from, and he couldn't. So maybe that was when he decided that he had to start taking the lead more than he was comfortable with. Okay, I'm going to move on to the I'm going to move on to the section clearly of talking about um, what Canelo, what I thought Canelo did got wrong, and then I'll sort of circle back to you know how Bivol fooled him. Um, how how that worked against him, um, why how Bivol took advantage of all that. So um, I'll you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll go back and start and start. Um, 
Canelo definitely looked snoppier in this fight than he has done in recent fights. Um, he was loading, you know, everyone's noted, um, you know, everyone who's anyone and quite a few people who you might not consider anyone, um, I'm referring to myself here, have noted on Twitter or, you know, in the comments of boxing sites and all of that, um, that Canelo was loading up too much on punches, um, that he was, uh, that his footwork got sloppy, that, um, well, no, his head movement was still there, but that he wasn't setting up his punches properly. And there's a theory, um, and I know Lee Wiley and um, Taylor have been talking about um, potentially him getting sloppy in camp, Taylor being Taylor Higgins, who writes for the fight side too. And there might be some truth in that. Look, I can't say for sure. I wasn't there, and he definitely got something wrong. But, um, but I think that there is a thought to be had about whether yes his form fell apart but I think the things that he the initial things that he started getting wrong were based on mistakes things that he thought Bivol was going to do or not going to do you know basically the same things that we saw when we were making our predictions and so confidently saying Canelo was going to win if Bivol had made those mistakes if Bivol had been doing those things then a lot of the things that Canelo was doing here would not have been the wrong decision. Like we're talking about um, the decision to blast everything with full power. Well, let's, let's talk about his footwork first. That he um, he looked a little bit stoppy on his feet. Um, he was uh, overbalancing and getting into space. Obviously, those are mistakes. Um, and I think they were mistakes drawn by Bivol. But I think the plan was always to sort of rush and be a bit rough in a similar way that he did against... Um, plant for different kind of different reasons but i think he decided i i feel like he had decided that he needed to be sort of dominating the center of the space to prevent you know bivol's little in and outs um to sort of keep him pushed back to take advantage of the fact that he only that people only seemed to circle at range that he wasn't circling you know he'd come in and out down the center line so canelo was trying to take over the center line and keep bivol from really doing anything um, and if Bivol had been this straight line fighter then that may well have worked the power shots the whole punching you know he spent a lot of time targeting the guard and even when he wasn't he wasn't really getting through the guard he was just loading things up and not setting up if Bivol had fought if Bivol's guard had been on the level that we saw against Craig Richards and um, Joe Smith Jr that might have worked because even a Canelo loading up too much is a better, more accurate, more creative, better disguised puncher. With all due respect to both of those guys, um, you know, Canelo is a more accurate puncher than those guys. He has better upper body movement, which he was utilizing, you know, slipping left and right to, to try to get to get there. Um, he's never really been the guy to to really, you know, Lomachenko his way around the angles, but his, he, his footwork has clearly got much better at doing that. Um, yeah, and again, if Bivol had made those mistakes, um, the, this game plan would not necessarily have looked quite as bad. Um, and I think this goes, I think this re-raises a point that I I used to make back in the day, um, basically between Golovkin 1 and 2, it was a big talking point, point of mine, um, which I think proved true, um, that Canelo is usually incredible at getting ready for fights and making adjustments 
and improvements and uh, planning his game plan in between fights. If things don't go the way he's expecting, he isn't necessarily the best at changing his game plan on the fly, which that, you know, that's how it makes him sound um, that he's doing everything rote. That isn't what I mean, because clearly he sets traps. He, uh, he looks at what his opponent's doing and works out what he's going to do and targets that. But he doesn't really change up his whole game plan. Like in uh, the the example, obviously, is in Golovkin two, um, Golovkin one and Golovkin two. Um, he in the first Golovkin fight, in the second Golovkin fight, um, he pushed Golovkin backwards and made Golovkin go backwards, and you know that was seen as a big success, and it was. He, you know, he wanted to fight that fight, and he did. But Golovkin wasn't any worse for having to do basically the opposite of what he had been expected to do, despite what um, Abel Sanchez claimed, you know, Golovkin was perfectly comfortable in that, even though it was almost certainly something he did directly in response to Canelo's more aggressive pressure. Um, and I don't think that Canelo has ever really been super comfortable at making that kind of overall adjustment in a fight. And it hasn't really come up since then because um, because his game plan has always been so well picked. Like even against Kovalev, where he was losing rounds early on, he knew what was happening. He knew what he was doing. He was targeting Kovalev's body, and it was landing. This is the thing. He was getting those shots home. Um, and this one, that wasn't working. And I think the obvious raw errors in his technique started to come out, not because. Not because he'd been stopping in camp. I mean, he'd got clearly got something wrong in camp, but not necessarily because he was stopping in camp, but because when you're, you know, as a fighter, and I have to disclaimer here, I, some of you will know this already, I'm not a fighter, I don't train, I haven't trained, so I'm basing this firstly off talking to people who do, and secondly, you know, I've done other sports and shit, and I do other things, and you know, to some level, this applies to everything. The later you learn a skill, the harder it is to fully ingrain, and the more likely you are to fall back on bad habits or old habits if you've tried to overlay new habits over time. And Canelo's footwork wasn't very good pretty much until the Amir Khan fight. You know, it was pretty late in his career that he really started focusing on perfecting his footwork. And I've always maintained all along, I've been a little bit, argu- you know, not too argumentative, I don't, um, but I've always said, you know, that his, if he has a weakness, it is his footwork. Um, and I kind of wish I had thought about this strong, more strongly with the regards to Bivol, but, you know, I think that what happened is because he added that footwork perfection so late when he had to start thinking about chasing the footwork and also breaking the guard and also changing you know going on the uh, being the aggressor when he isn't used to being you know even when he's well, even when he's a pressure writer he's forcing the mistake from his opponent and he's countering and that wasn't happening here so he had to think about taking the lead and all of those things and i think that uh at that point he wasn't able to concentrate on his footwork enough and he started to make these fairly basic errors like not crossing his feet necessarily but you know feet together straight um, losing the stance losing the punching stance feet square you know that kind of thing and i thought that the guy to get that out of canelo would be the guy who can spin who can you know the real really sharp um 
circular movers, but you know, Bivol introduced more circular movement than Canano was probably expecting, and I think that did the trick. And the same thing with loading up the power. Like I say, um, that would probably have worked if Bivol had been the guy that I was expecting. And then he really just kind of got flustered and committed to it. And yeah, he hadn't prepped in camp um, to be a different fighter, but I don't think that was because he got stoppy and thought, okay, I don't need to take think about Bivol. I think it was because he thought Bivol was going to be a different guy and he focused on certain things and he didn't have these other things in the in the um, tool bag, so to speak. Well, that's my theory. I can't, you know, I can't speak that for sure because I wasn't in the camp. Um, we'll probably never know for sure. But uh, but that is my thought. That basically Bivol was giving him too much information that was too directly contrary to thought to the information that to the thing that he already had in place, and he just simply wasn't able to adjust adjust that far. And that's why he started looking so sloppy and out of character. And even with the stamina, um, you know, again, people were talking about, oh, he looked heavy and that's why he started to slow down and all of that stuff. And maybe, but Canelo's always had a stamina problem. We've always known this. And what he's been fantastic at is managing his stamina, like keeping control of the tempo of the fight to at least some extent. It's always been... You know, not, not always fought entirely on his terms because Golovkin did dictate the exchanges both times, but um, like the, the timing of the exchanges. But even Golovkin wasn't able to just constantly change up the tempo of the fight. Is you know that was a very those, I'm not going to talk about break those down not right now. Um, but Canelo always had a say in the pace the fight was going at in those fights, and he didn't have any say in how the fight was fought here. When he wanted to rest, Bivol pushed it. When he wanted to push it, Bivol dropped off and rested. Um, and I think, you know, we've all talked about for years, the stamina management is something that Canelo's learned because his gas tank has never been that good. So I don't, you know, suddenly we're talking about the weight being too difficult for him, um, that he's put on too much weight and that's why he failed. It's like, maybe... But the fight we saw in front of our eyes was him not being able to manage the tempo. And I think that's why he got tired, not quite simply. And yes, loading up on all your punches will do that too. Um, but again, like I say, I think that was because because Bivol just got into his head. You know, I don't, I don't want to say Canelo you know, did nothing wrong and uh, that there's nothing he can fix in camp, because clearly there is. And it's possible that uh, him and Reynoso got cocky to some extent. Um... And, you know, Bivol probably isn't wrong in his conversation with Eddie Hearn that uh, he wouldn't have got the fight if he looked better in those last two performances of his. So maybe, the, but, you know, even with that, I don't think, I don't know. Could, it just doesn't seem like Canelo's, um, like, I don't think that he came and looked at Bivol thinking, I don't need to try. I think he quite possibly thought, okay, this will be an easier challenge for me than Baturbiev. But, uh but yeah, I think he came up with the wrong game plan rather than being like, yeah, whatever, I don't need to plan for this guy. That's basically what I'm trying to say here. And Bivol just drew that out of him, like just drew the mistakes, drew the errors. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of the reason why I'm being so snippy about this. Apologies to anyone who feels snipped at. Um, but talking about... But Canelo, you know, talking about things Canelo did in camp and stuff, like... 
talking about Canelo being sloppy and overlooking Bivol, look, you know, yeah, he did. But uh, by making that the main reason Canelo lost, though, it takes away from Bivol's performance, which was brilliant. It was just so good. You know, he was catching, countering Canelo. I didn't even mention that early on. You know, Canelo is the, the king of the catch and counter, of um, slipping, ducking, and then catching his opponent's shots and countering them. And Bivol was doing that to him. Imagine how frustrating that must have been for someone who's made that cornerstone of his game. And he's being catch and countered and not all of his efforts to break that guard are just being count. Well, I'll keep saying the word countered, you know, that actually gets to you. So yeah, it was just a fantastic performance by Bivol and Canelo, you know, it was a bit of a boxing lesson. It wasn't a levels fight or anything. Um, you know, Canelo, Canelo got, did get you done. He was landing body work. He was landing uppercuts down the middle in particular. Did quite well. Um, and his defense was still on point. Like Bivol had to work really hard. You know, the jab was getting home a lot. But um, other than that, Bivol did have to work really hard to land things through and around the guard and through the head movement. You know, Bivol said this after the fight himself. Um, although I'm surprised that Bivol was surprised at how good Canelo's defense was, seeing as uh, his head movement is definitely the best aspect of his game. But yeah, um, he had to work very hard to to get past that. Um, the judging was bad, but it got the right winner in the end, so whatever. Um, I do want to say, I don't think it takes corruption for the first scorecard, for the, for the first four rounds to be all four, you know, four nil to Canelo. In fact, I think it's less likely to be corruption because even if you're corrupt, you're, try, you're going to be trying to hide it. And just turning in... Uh, what would what seems like an obviously wrong card is a really stupid way to try to hide your corruption. I think they were just, to a certain extent, seeing what they expected to see. And Canelo is an incredibly good bullshitter. Um, you know the thing that the thing that he does where uh, whenever an opponent throws a cross at him, he snaps his head around to the side. Um, so it makes it basically impossible, really hard anyway, to judge whether a punch has landed or not. Um, or whether you know whether he's whether he's said to it proud because he's been landed or whether he slipped it, um, and all of that kind of thing. And yeah, it was bad judging. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that I'm okay in the judges getting those rounds wrong, but um, I don't think you need corruption to explain it. Um, and I think if it was corruption, they would have found more rounds later on to give to Canelo than they did. It's just uh, they would have, you know they would have spread the, the love around more. So, yeah, I think it was just bad judging, which ultimately got to the right decision, um, which which Scott Christ on Bandit Trick has been saying since the fight, it really does put across how how good Bivol must have been if he lost the first four rounds and then still won the fight, you know, on the judges' scorecards, because uh, that means he won basically the entirety of the back half of the fight against Canelo Alvarez. So, you know... Fair fucks to him for that. It's just, it's just really not a lot to say. He's made his name here. He's completely won me over. And I really, you know, I'd really love to see him fight the Terbiev. I think, you know, I think he would have been a tough matchup for Berterbiev, even being the guy who I thought he was before, because Berterbiev isn't a fantastic mover. Now I think this would be a really tough fight for Berter, Berterbiev, but uh, I would like to see it. But uh, I, the rematch is going to be next, I think. So you know, let's let's wait and see on that one. Um, okay, so next thing to talk about. Seeing I've talked about what Canelo did wrong is what 
could Canelo do in the rematch? Um, because a lot of people, you know, when you see a fight like that, when you see a fighter so clearly win a fight and talk about the immediate rematch, the immediate thought is it's too soon, It's uh, there isn't a lot he can do. And uh, given that the loss did revolve around what in hindsight are fairly obvious limitations Canelo still had with his footwork, you know, it's tempted to say there's nothing he can really do to fix it. But I think there are. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be sort of repeating some points because it's going to be based on the things that I think he did wrong, what he should do different. First things first, uh, the jab. Like I say, Canelo is tends to be content to lose the jabbing battle because he thinks that his opponent's jab is almost as useful to him as his own. Um, in you know, in this one, he got out jabbed almost two to one and out landed on the jab almost two to one, um, and he landed basically no power shots off the ball's jab. So he can't do that. He has to compete on the jab. Is he going to out and out beat before on a jab in battle? Probably not. But he can't abandon the playing field. Like he can't not. He can't decide. I'm not going to try to compete. He has to try to at least even the territory there. Um, and I think he can do that. You know, I think Canelo has a really good jab. He, he just doesn't, uh, you know, he, he decides it's more efficient to do other things. Um, so that would be the first first thing I think Canelo needs to do that is in his natural game. Second thing, you know, it, obviously the loading up all the punches. Um, if he's going to take the lead, he has to practice. He has to be in setup mode. He has to be throwing away punches. He has to... He's fighting Bivol. Um, Bivol, the Bivol that we saw in the last fight, Canelo has to accept that he isn't going to be able to dominate the space in the roughhouse fashion the way that he did against Plant and Smith, even though those are bigger guys. He has to accept that he's going to be looking for space. Obviously, the footwork is going to be something that he has to fix up, but just throw away punches, little disguising punches to set up the big ones. That's an obvious thing for him to forget, and you know, it is easy to say that he should have had that in his locker straight from the go, a guy of his level should have had but um, yeah that's a thing you know he has that in his locker it's not something that you've never seen from Canelo before throwing away punches to set up the big one like that's clearly something he's done before and he has to come with I think a game plan fairly focused on that to not just break the guard but guide you know he has to plan his combinations to force Bivol's movement into certain areas where he can then take advantage. So that's, you know, there's the second thing that come in behind a very busy jab, use your combinations to guide Bivol's movement, which I don't think he had any plan for. And I think he's good, again, I think he's good enough to have a plan for. He did it against Golovkin to a certain extent. Um, in the second fight, he, you know, he never forced Golovkin to the ropes, but he got the fight going in the direction he wanted it to. And he needs to do that here. Um, you know, even against Kovalev, it was much easier for him to break Kovalev's guard and find the body, but he was able to sort of move Kovalev around and look for the bodywork. It's what he needs to do here. Um, the third thing, that's related to the thing with the um, the punching the guard. Like, he wasted a lot of energy, he committed a lot of energy to punching Bivol's arms in the assumption that, like against Callum Smith, he'd be able to make him drop his guard and break the guard just by, you know, smashing his arms a bit. That didn't happen. 
he needs to save his energy for well first he needs to save his energy for um for doing things that are directly trying to get through the card rather than trying to wear it down but also you know double up throw a punch to the uh to your opponent's bicep sure but then throw something straight away afterwards um use that as the throwaway punch he didn't really do that and he probably should in a rematch if he's gonna um yeah and all of this comes with the caveat that me personally have you know i've always said if canelo has a problem with his footwork and i don't think he's ever gonna be able to have the footwork to make this you know any of this situation thing like he has to tighten up his footwork he has to be a bit sharper and faster um you know i think he can but um i don't know that canelo is ever going to be that sharp to um on with his feet you know he's never going to be alexander rusek he's never going to be lomachenko he's never going to be chocolatito with his feet he's always going to be slightly you know he's always going to be the slower guy in the battle of footwork with bivol so even if he does everything that i think he's you know in his natural wheelhouse in his in his package that he's already got he still has to sharpen up some extra things to have a fighting chance but I don't think it's fair to say that he has no real chance and the rematch shouldn't really happen. He's too good a fighter for that. Like people are denigrating him now, like calling him, you know, some people are throwing out that he's always been average and that, and you know, this proves it. And it's like, come on. Just, no, he got, he got, uh, he got out thought and out, out tactic and he got very frustrated and it was, you know, it was very satisfying to see him resorting to literally, literally shooting tip takedowns. I think it was a final round with the one before, um, by the end of the fight. And that was very fun. But um, but yeah, it was just yeah he came with the wrong game plan. He um, and yeah, like I say, I think that exposed this fact, this thing about him. He better he's better adjusting before than jury. Um, no, I think that will come into it. I think he'll sit down, take a long, hard look at what he got wrong, and do everything he can to fix that. And then it'll be on Bivol to adjust to the adjustments, and um, we'll see. Like, there isn't enough information now to see how Bivol um, how Bivol reacts when the plan goes wrong. So, you know, there's enough information to think. Okay, he's got more in the locker than he had because um, he didn't. Oh, this was a remarkable thing, really, that Bivol never really looked like he got out of third gear. You know, he always looked like he had more to go to. He needed it, which which is incredible. Um, you know, it's probably why people are resorting to going, Canelo is this, uh, Canelo is overrated. You know, it's, it's just a perfect performance in which Bivol used his natural advantages to the max. Like, his natural advantages of not just size, but... Um, Canelo's areas of weakness matched up perfectly well to some things Golovkin does well, uh, Bivol does well, and Bivol just built a game plan based around that. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a brilliant performance. It was, so far, the, obviously, the performance of the SFI, like, there isn't really a contender. Um, you know, Bam Rodriguez, Bam Rodriguez against Quadras was uh, super, and he's uh, going to be a fantastic fighter, but it was just a different level of opposition here. Anyway, the final thing I want to talk about is um, pound for pound and legacy. Where does it leave Canelo's legacy? The first thing I want to talk about is pound for pound. Um, I haven't solidly sat down with my pound for pound list. Does it make sense to take Canelo any lower 
in a pound for pound list than he was. You know, I'd put Usyk above him now for certain. But um, but other than that. You know he he did step up of his he did step above his you know most com- he is clearly sort of at the upper limits of his range and he lost uh, dominantly. Um, should he drop out of the top ten? Obviously not. That would be ridiculous. Should he drop below Bivol? It's hard to say because he has so much more on the resume than Bivol. Even if you accounting for the the weakness of his opponents until now, and I think that's doing a disservice to people like Callum Smith and Callum Plant and all of that sort. Yeah, they're not. None of them are all timers. Um, Canelo is also not an all time great, you know, yet. If he'd won this fight, he'd been sort of looking, starting to look at that. Um, but, um, yeah, one really good win isn't, uh, isn't going to put Bivol at the top of the pound for pound, but, him, you know, he may have enough to, if he beats Baturbiev, he will start looking at sort of the top, top five. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird ones. It's, um, I'm not going to sit out here and make a list right now because I just I'd need to think about it more. But um, you can't drop Canelo too much because, yeah, it was just uh, he's got too much in the stack already. You know, despite what people want to say about it, to drop him too far. And Bivol again, like I say, it's one good win, one great win, one fantastic win. Um, it has to bring him into the top ten, I think. But yeah. Um, because Canelo, you know, like I keep saying, the the size wasn't the difference, but it was a factor. You know that Canelo, you know, when you're talking pound for pound, yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the thing I want to talk about is um, where does it leave? Well, when we're talking about Canelo's skill set and ranking, you know, even setting aside the pound for pound, you know, where exactly would who be in a pound for pound list? Um, the main thing here is that this idea that this has exposed Canelo, and like clearly it has exposed him in some ways, that things he can't do, that things he got wrong, and that all of that has it exposed him as not being as good as some of us were saying. Um, you know, clearly I'm defending my own reputation here a bit. You know, no, it it hasn't. It's um, it's exposed that he he has limits, which we knew already. We didn't think that Bivol was going to test those limits, but that happened because Bivol was better than we thought he was going to be, and um. You know, people were talking about the the one that people keep coming back to a lot is Lomachenko. Um, that uh, that suddenly, oh, this proves that uh, he's never not near Lomachenko's level. That in terms of the value of you know the win off, what this proves about Canelo, it isn't that far removed of what losing to Teofimo Lopez said about. Um, Lomachenko, and there was a bigger size difference for Loma to overcome, at least a bigger power difference. Like Loma was more obviously out of his um, out of his physical comfort zone in that fight, which is part of why I say that it wasn't the um, it wasn't the size wasn't the overwhelming difference here. It, you know, in the same way that the power was clearly the telling thing in that fight in the Lomachenko versus Tier fight, but you know, Lomachenko clearly had certain things exposed in that fight that he can't, that he he didn't do, that he got wrong. And that was the same thing here. Like, there wasn't a massive difference in in the scale of those defeats. It's both a guy that most of us expect, you know, a few people were wise enough to pick Lopez, a few people were wise enough to pick Bivol. Um, 
most of us picked for the favourite. That's why they were the favourite. And then they lost in ways that exposed gaps in the skill set. The gaps in the skill set were more unflattering for Canelo because they made him look, you know, a bit crude and um, and a bit silly, dare I say. But um, in both cases, they were... Yeah, um, you know, Lomachenko in the Lopez fight um, showed a difficulty, you know, in that middle distance in getting through, you know, for all of his fantastic footwork, he showed certain difficulties in getting through at, at um, Lopez, firing shots as he closed, through intercepting shots. Um, Canelo showed issues with the movement and all of that. So this idea that it suddenly proves him below the level of, you know, the other the other great fighters of this generation, like, it doesn't really fly for me, like, and I, I don't particularly like Canelo as a you know presence in boxing. He's clearly a he's clearly a great boxer. Like this point I'm making here, he's you know overall I think he's a good he's fine. He isn't a villain, but I don't particularly like him. You know, I, I didn't like the way he handled all of them before the fight. I don't particularly like the way he's handled. He's talked about Golovkin after. Um, I do think people are overrated, overstating how much he's been cherry picking since. Like, yeah, John Ryder was a cherry pick, but he's also a much bigger guy. Kovalev, you know, hindsight says that he was completely shot, but, um, Kovalev, you know, he physically, he looked a bit, you know, the fact that he was done so was part of that fight. But he's still sharp and can learn how to do good work to get past him. You know, Callum Smith, yeah, he's, he hasn't got an amazing resume, but he beat George Groves, who won the WBSS. He's much bigger than Canelo. You know, all of these, you know, Caleb Plant, um, Canelo exposed the limitations in this game, but he also had to do clever things to do it. There's all these, you know, his resume's fine. Lomachenko went through a phase of fighting absolute bullshit for ages. This is why, you know, and I fucking love Lomachenko. He's probably, you know, one of my favourite fighters, top three. Canelo's nowhere near. But when you when you sit down in the cold light of day and compare what they've done, like, yeah, Lomachenko has, for intent, been faster to go, yeah, I want that fight, yeah, I want this challenge, yeah, I want that challenge. But once you come down to what they've actually done, the successes and the failures aren't that different, you know. Um, so does it prove, you know, well, what does it prove about Canelo? Is he an all-time great? No. He'd have to win a lot more at this sort of height weight, you know. He'd, he, it's very difficult to be an all-time great in this era, and Canelo hasn't quite done enough there um, but um, does it prove that Canelo hasn't improved since he fought Mayweather no that's idiotic sorry I'm sorry but it is um, does, you know he's improved very visibly since he fought Amir Khan and Bivol drew some of the same mistakes he was making against Amir Khan out of him but Bivol was much much better than Amir Khan it's just you know I'm sorry yeah like I say part of my annoyance at disrespecting Canelo after this with this performance is because you're also disrespecting Bivol. And I thought, just don't do that, please. Just accept that you've got a new guy who's challenging among those guys rather than trying to knock another guy out of it, you know. Yeah, that's pretty much all there is to say about that. I don't want to go on rant for too long. But, uh, yeah, There's basically this changed the landscape a fair bit of how we see modern boxing because Canelo is the face of modern boxing and suddenly he's you know 
it is an issue. But um, yeah, basically I'll put it this way, in terms of the face of boxing, this wasn't an exposure in the same way that um, Joshua losing to Andrew Ruiz Jr. was, you know, and that's Usyk. Like, that just clearly showed the limitations, big weak spots in Joshua's game. In this, you know, both of those guys are smaller than him, and yeah, it was just a different scenario. Um, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get angry, and I shouldn't get angry because this fight was great, and I liked that Pivot beat Canelo and all of that stuff. Um, you know, it's a bit embarrassing for me given how wrong that how wrong I got it, but um, hopefully I've managed to give you some insight into you know why what haven't happened, um, how Pivot fought Canelo. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, next week is a stacked weekend of boxing. There's no single event that's as big as this, but there is an absolute fuck ton going on. Charlo v Castano rematch being the you know main thing there um, with Jerome Ennis on the um, on the undercard. But yeah, Charlo Jamel Charlo versus Brian Castano is the rematch for the undisputed um, junior middleweight, super welterweight, whatever you want to call it, belts. You know all the belts on the line. So I'll have some thoughts on that in my preview, I'd imagine. Um, Zerdo Ramirez is fighting Dominic Berzel, but um, you know, I don't. If I have to look up who Dominic Berzel is. I apologise for that. Sergei Kovalev is fighting Tovel Pulev. No, no, no idea, but um, yeah, there's a there's a fight on Friday with um, well, that's, I mean, it's Giovanni Carolis, I've seen him fight, but he's not like, no, there's a British, well, British, it's in France, um, Tony Yoko versus Martin Picolo, that's quite good, it's a 10 rounder, surprised by that, but, you know, who knows, and uh, there is also a big silly fight with Floyd Mayweather fighting someone I'm nearly bad, I don't care, I'm paying that one no attention, China versus Castano, Estner versus Clayton, Ennis versus Clayton, and um, Zerdo versus Berzel with Zepeda, and Alvarado on the undercard, those are the relevant fights for next week. I will look to do a preview. I'm a little bit sick this week, so I can't 100% guarantee it, but at the same time, I'm a little bit sick, so I'm not all work today or tomorrow. Um, yeah, see how we go. So, yeah, you know, in between times, follow me on Crafty Boxing on Twitter, follow the fight site at the fight site, check out our, you know, our written pieces on the fight site. There's um, Dan Albert, I believe, just dropped uh, some analysis of the UFC of, um, you know, I'm, I'm going bonkers. How Oliveira beat Justin Gaethje. Um, so, so check out thoughts on that. Check out our Patreon for even more exclusive thoughts and ideas and adida. And I will see you next time because I will definitely want to talk about next weekend's action. So, till then. <laughs>